At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Happy Cinco de Mayo, everyone. Hopefully you're not too mad at us for waiting an extra day. Because we had the day off today in terms of games, we figured it made more sense to get two games under our belt in each of the series and to uh, have a podcast that could actually marinate for more than a day and still actually be worthwhile. So how are you enjoying the second round so far? It's been pretty good. I think we have two great series being played on the on the one night, and then we kind of exhale a little bit on the other night, and it's maybe not quite as competitive. Although we'll see. I mean, we've seen so many series turn when the venue shifts. So when these series get to Dallas and get to Philadelphia, and especially if Embiid plays, they could go in a very different direction still i thought dallas and phoenix was going to be a really good series and phoenix has just absolutely destroyed them so far i mean and the sun's being up 2-0 i mean i'm not just like shocked by that but just the way that they've done it and the way that dallas was able to actually really shut down a utah offense that ranked higher than phoenix in the regular season and just has no chance against this phoenix team what do you make of that that second half last night, the targeting Luca as he ran out of gas, that was one of the most savage things I've ever seen. I mean, when, when Jay Crowder is going right by him off the dribble. And yeah, they started with Jay Crowder, and then they're like, oh, well, actually, maybe we'll have Chris Paul do it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the fact that the fact that Dallas was hiding him, trying to hide him on the fourth and fifth option, and Phoenix just kept finding him and kept finding him. They were just so relentless. It was, you know, it was one of those scenes where you're like, stop, he's already dead, you know? And <laughs> oh, man, and just I mean, it, it was it was just vicious. It was cold, the coldest thing I've seen. And, you know, usually something happens like that in a playoff game. And the coach calls timeout and takes the guy out of the game when when somebody's being targeted like that. But when it's your best player, you're not going to call timeout and take him out of the game. So it was almost reminiscent of, I guess, the closest thing is when uh, Reggie Jackson just kept going by the Clipper guards in, in game six last year. Uh, or the Jazz guards, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, and... I mean, it was it was just savage. It was incredible to watch. Well, especially because it was just so intentional. And that's what Chris Paul is. He's just an assassin. He knows what he wants to do every single time. And I think as badly as he killed the New Orleans Pelicans, like Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado actually like pressured up and at least sped him up a little bit or said had him say, hey, let's bring the ball up, give the ball to somebody else to bring it up, which I realize they do a lot of times to save his energy. But, you know, at least they're 
making it hard for him to get the ball back and just exerting some pressure and they're just not doing that now i think this is the biggest thing i wanted to talk to you about from this series and these are related things and espn stats and info had this that basically luca was targeted more and more efficiently as a screen defender than basically anyone in any game over like the x number of years that they have tracking for i can't remember the exact stat i'll find it while, while you're talking but and then they're shooting 61 percent on twos outside of the paint for the playoffs and so yeah like you're gonna look really awesome when you're doing that and they are i mean one of the few maybe the nets would be the only other team that you'd think of could go on this kind of a run yeah but those those two things i mean those are just massive outliers right like they can't fully sustain right i don't think so i mean we've seen this movie before with luca where he because we saw in the clipper series last year they weren't quite as intentional targeting him but where he ran out of gas as the game went on because the first the first half it's he's so good that it actually creates a little bit of a problem because why wouldn't you just run every single play through him but then he just inevitably he doesn't have the stamina to do that for 48 minutes in a playoff game and so so Dallas needs to either get him off the ball more or be smarter about how they substitute him or do something differently so that we don't just see this movie again and again. We're like, hey, Luca had 24 in the first half. That's great. And he finishes with like 31 and six turnovers. Yeah. And I mean, is there anyone who ever has been able to be successful running every single play through them for this? Long? I mean, maybe you could say LeBron in 2015 and 2018, but that would LeBron be, James. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're asking him to be prime LeBron James, basically, and yeah. he's improved his conditioning, but it's just not—it's just not at that level, and you can—you can see it. And the every other day format of this is going to be pretty unforgiving for him on that too. Especially again, the Suns were assassins that we're going to make him defend on every single play, and it was like a video game where you just see the fighters' hit points going down and down and down, right? Like he couldn't even get in a yeah. stance. Yeah, I mean, on the ball, like it's—you know—if you're James Harden or you're Trey young and you well, Trey Young doesn't get in a stance on the ball either but <laughs> it, and but but still you're you've got a hall of fame point guard going right at you and you're just standing straight up and just trying to almost like move your controller around and it, like that's kind of what he looked like right he looked like one of those early video games when they couldn't actually animate the guy getting into a defensive stance yet so if you're trying to play defense like the guy would just kind of run in a direction when you move the controller to try and play defense and stay in front of someone like that's what he looked like at, at this point like sh- shout out uh bulls versus blazers <laughs> yes exactly that's the exact game i was thinking of that's perfect <laughs> the uh or I, it was lakers versus celtics was the first one of those where uh tom chambers could just run to basically one step inside the three-point line on the top of the screen you would hit the shoot button and he'd do the double pump dunk over mark jackson and just dunk it every single time and there's, <laughs> it was just if he got to that spot and you hit the shoot button it was just a, a flying uh uh, you know 22 foot dunk <laughs> yeah I, I i love the little quirks in the, those games used to have we we had one i think it was for nintendo where like i think they coded something wrong but do you remember david benoit who was like a backup forward for utah but oh, yeah. they they made him into superman basically <laughs> like he was he was the best player in the whole thing <laughs> 
Uh, but but in any event, so what can so so I guess that, that my first question to you is this Phoenix mid range shooting like is this they've shot now the second longest streak of shooting over fifty percent in NBA playoff history I believe is the stat that I saw and they're scoring just incredibly they had the second highest true shooting percentage in a game in the NBA playoffs in this last game uh, highest ever outside of the bubble the highest actually occurred against a very similar Mavs roster. By by the Clippers in game five in 2020. So what uh is this going to change? Like, can Phoenix keep making these shots? Because they're not like the easiest shots in the world necessarily. Well, I mean, clearly, objectively. Chris, Chris Paul is on a crazy heater right now, but he also, he shot 55% on non-paint twos in the regular season. So like, this isn't a crazy outlier for him. Game six against New Orleans, he shot 14 for 14 without any layups. So he's capable of doing this. And then some of these mid-range numbers too are Aiton on switches, which are fairly easy shots for him. Yeah, or just like quick pick and pop type of plays as well, where I used to criticize him for like, why are you just like hot potatoing the ball out of your hands on these? But no, actually, if he makes like over 50% of these shots from mid-range, it probably actually is a good shot for him. You know what he reminds me of as a quick aside? He kind of reminds me of like a seven foot tall, Anton Jameson the way he's playing right now oh that's that interesting I was I was actually going to go with an in-shape Kevin Duckworth <laughs> Man, yeah Kevin Duckworth had that uh very interesting that I do kind of miss those yeah. days when, yeah. when guys just had crazy jump shots because they didn't look at YouTube videos to find out how you're actually supposed to shoot and <laughs> by the time they got to like real coaching they just shot the ball the way they did and it went in and so nobody messed with them yeah <laughs> yeah there's no no more like Bill Cartwright or Jamal Wilk. I remember after college, before I was going to move on to the next chapter of my life, my buddy and I went to Hilton Head, South Carolina to work some summer jobs and hang out. We had a great time, except for his car. His car was awful. We called it the POS. It was like a 91 Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra. We're allowed to talk about Oldsmobile now that it's a defunct brand, right? Is that okay? This thing had the turning radius of a World War I battleship, broke down all the time, just a, a miserable vehicle to drive. And when customers are rushing to your store, you want a point of sale system that you can trust, not a real POS like my buddy's car. You need Shopify for retail. It makes it easy to accept payments, manage orders, and build relationships with customers. You can sell in person, backed by everything that you need to sell online, track every sale across your business in one place, know exactly what's in stock, connect with customers in line and online. You can drive in-person store traffic with plug-and-play tools for marketing campaigns on social media, Get great hardware that fits your business, accept credit cards, mobile payments, every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing starting on day one. Plus, their award-winning help is there to support you every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash PER. All lowercase, easy to remember slash PER because John invented PER. Go to shopify.com slash PER to take your retail business to the next level. Today, that's shopify.com slash P-E-R. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. 
these days. But in any event, I uh, the team looks amazing, and yeah, like you could say the shooting is is an outlier. But what isn't going to change is that you still have to guard that area so intensely in a way that you don't necessarily for other teams. And just seeing what this Phoenix team is doing to what was a good Dallas defense, although I will note that it got a lot worse once Luca came back. Yes, it's still pretty incredible. Dallas was good on defense during the regular season. They really throttled Utah quite a bit, who is supposed to be this great offense and now they're just getting run out of the gym i so like yeah like ahead, you i am surprised not that utah is up 2-0 but by the apparent disparity between these two teams in the first two games like it just it just feels easy for phoenix right now yeah by the way that stat kirk goldsbury had this 1.81 points per chance when Doncic was the screener in the second half the highest efficiency allowed by a single defender in any half over the last three seasons minimum 15 direct picks and he was on 19 on ball screen so that's that stat is going to be it's pretty remarkable because anyone who's targeted for 15 direct picks they're probably doing it because the guy's not any good yeah <laughs> and, and so yeah I, I believe actually one one of the misses also because i was watching the fourth quarter again one of the misses was a wide open three-pointer for cameron johnson when he just like ran up and slipped the screen and Doncic just ended up like 20 feet behind the play. It's funny because Luca normally isn't that this bad. And he started off the season bad because he wasn't in shape. And then I thought he really improved. He was a big part of their defensive improvement. Even last year against the Clippers, they didn't really target him that much. And certainly the Clippers don't have as many fast guys. You know, Luca is better in kind of more strength matchups, but they didn't really go at him that much. I thought he held up reasonably well now you could argue maybe they should have gone after him more because it would have tired him out as well but i think maybe just the calf injury he kind of got out of shape a little bit like your calf shouldn't really affect you that much on defensive slides like physically but i think he's just not in the same type of condition that he was before that injury that's the only thing i could point to because he do you agree that he actually you know he wasn't like a trey or a james harden type of guy I yes, I I do agree with you. And it's interesting because I think when he came out into the league, a lot of people thought that's what he would be on defense and he hasn't been that. But I think Phoenix almost stumbled into this. Like I think the original idea for Phoenix is let's wear this guy out so he stops killing us at the other end. And then it started working so well, it was like, oh my God, like, let's go after him every play. Well, the Jazz actually had success against him, I thought, as well in the last round. And they weren't actually switching with him early in that round. Like games four and six, I thought they had some pretty good success against Luka. It's just their offense overall wasn't good enough. They didn't have this mid-range. There's Their ISO and mid-range guys just aren't as good as Phoenix. So what can they do now? How are they going to save this? I think, I think they have to think about how to manage Luka during the course of a game because the first half he was awesome and just he he just ran out of gas and so you can't just play him the whole first half and run every play through him and expect him to make it through 40 plus minutes at this intensity they can also be smarter about how they do some things like Dallas wasn't pre-switching off the ball to get him out of action either which I would have expected them to do especially with the players they had on the floor like if you have Luca guarding their five anyway like just pre-switch that like it's it's beyond though like he was in for a lot of those possessions because Aiton had fouls it's like you just just pre-switch that and you can get Luca out of the play but they, they weren't doing that and uh there's a reluctance to try zone against phoenix which i understand but i was a little surprised they didn't at least try that yeah they haven't really been a zone team i think they just don't necessarily have the cohesiveness to go to that at, at this point in the season 
and they don't have really a lot of length i mean they're largely built on denying penetration to begin with and i so i I mean maybe they could try the zone i i don't know how well that's going to work i mean phoenix doesn't have a traditional type of playmaker i mean i guess you can get eight into the foul line and then he's going to just shoot it there you hope that someone's there to bother him a little bit so yeah i think you can do that as a change up i i don't know that there's any one solution like the pre-switching yeah go ahead oh go ahead on the pre-switching i i was gonna say i mean i think yeah you definitely should try some of that but eventually chris paul at least in the key moments of the game is gonna figure out how to get that guy up there And, and a lot of what they're doing too is doing stuff off the ball early on really where they're setting a screen for Devin Booker on a pin down out of the corner with Lucas man that sort of stuff where you can't really if you if it's starting off the ball you can't really do that necessarily yeah um and Phoenix Zach Lowe's talked about this extensively they have a pretty good well-disguised pick and roll game they get into stuff they move off the ball it's not just as station to station as say Dallas's offenses the uh I lost my train of thought well so yeah you're gonna say the, something the other thing the, oh no i know what i was gonna say because they also tried they also tried switch and double which basically like yeah. okay we'll do the switch but then we'll run another guy at you and the problem is phoenix's secondary guys are so good that it's really hard to do that against them like they just ping the ball around and got a biombo dunk right away yeah so uh, to me i think yeah obviously you try to pre-switch when you can i mean the other problem with the pre-switch though is okay what if uh you just have devin booker's man screen Doncic's man initially right or then you're starting off with Doncic on like Jay Crowder and the the least threatening guy and then if you pre-switch him now Luca's on someone who's better and so that's a problem right so I mean the, the biggest thing that to me is so impressive about Phoenix on both ends is just what is their weakness right you really struggle they don't have the Donovan Mitchell that Dallas can go at with Jalen Brunson uh other than campaign who maybe plays 10 minutes a game at this point so I think that my approach would be just you got to do a bunch of things and it's tough to do a bunch of little things it's much easier to do one big thing but number one i think they got to find a way to make phoenix play later into the shot clock and that's maybe that's pressuring up chris paul full court some more or if it's not chris paul it's somebody else who's not going to be like some unbelievable dribbler so like put some pressure on them now that's tough because they don't have jose alvarado and herb jones on this team they don't have that level of depth but not even to force turnovers but just to say all right we're gonna let you play two or three seconds later in the shot clock than you normally would and then then if you're doing some pre-switching then they've got less time to hunt that matchup and then less time to make the play once they finally found the matchup like that that part matters you can also uh change up what you're doing obviously like do like the the switch double sometimes but again if you do that then they have less time to work with in theory maybe you do go zone every once in a while just to again kind of change it up not give them the same look every time and then i think the other thing is just i mean luka Doncic said it after the game he acknowledged like he just individually needs to be better so they got to find ways to preserve his energy like you've got spencer dinwiddie and jalen brunson on this team you got to find a way to get them to be effective on the offensive end also it would help to actually get some transition yourself so that would help luka not have to make every single play on the offensive end so i mean i've got some ideas on how to do that as well on offense but it's uh there's just a lot of 
going to have to be a lot of components to it. Like you can't just fix it with just one snap of the fingers as a coaching. Staff. Yeah. I mean, shout out Seth part. Now the play better adjustment is always the biggest one. And look <laughs> at Luca has to play better is, is the biggest one. I just think tactically, there are some things that Dallas could do to help him play better in terms of managing his workload during the course of a game. So he has more left in the tank in the second half. Sure. Uh, well, what are some of those things? Well, like you said, I mean, I think, th- I think Brunson and Dinwiddie have to be more involved early and they can't just settle into this thing. Well, we're, we'll run pick and roll through Luca every play in the first half because he makes it look so easy that why wouldn't you do that? Well, you, you need, you need him for the second half though. So you get, you know, he can't do that for 40 minutes. So you got to pick your spots a little better about when you're going to go to the whip on that. And I also think they might have to be comfortable with the idea of him playing like 34 minutes instead of 42. Yeah. Or maybe 38, 34 seems, I don't think they can win that way, but, but they can't win. I don't care if he's the greatest offensive player in NBA history. And he's probably close to that. If he's getting worked like this defensively, like you're just not going to win no matter how good he is. So the, the feeling of, Hey, we, we just can't live without him. Well, we know that this doesn't work. And particularly with him coming off the calf injury. And I think not in like the absolute peak of condition that he was in. But what do you think of this adjustment? I was thinking when pain comes in, take Luca out and then try to go for the, uh, particularly because JaVale is often in as well. So I think you can run decent conventional pick and roll at JaVale. Take Luca out and have Dinwiddie and Brunson in there, also, but also go to the five out with that group as well and just say, all right, if we're that worried about Luca, we'll, when he's out of the game, we're going to actually maximize our chance of being successful. And when we're going to have to get some minutes on Dwight Powell, but if we have Powell in without Luca, then we can't score. So we might as well just go with uh, Luca and Powell together. Luca likes to have a pick and roll guy and just say and feel like our, we're just in better shape because campaign is going to play at least some like they're not going to play Chris Paul 43 minutes a game. So no. try to target him. He's the one guy you can target and he and JaVale and actually score reasonably well when Luca's off. And that can be a way to steal Lucas more time. I think that's their best shot. I I mean, they might be drawing dead no matter what, but that, sure. Well, that's, and they're down to zero. That, yeah. That's even bigger than even if they can't yeah. play right now. I mean, so what would you say as we go into games three and four, what percent chance do you give Dallas of winning the uh, individual games, each either of these two games? I think there's a decent chance they get one of them. Yeah. Right. You'd probably put them somewhere between 40 and 50% each game. Maybe. Is that too optimistic? Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think like right around 50%. I mean, that's usually what it is in these series that go end up being gentlemen's sweep, right? Like the, yeah, even the team that loses 4-1 has a 50% chance of winning their own home games. And sometimes they get it to 4-2 and, or, or uh, to 2-2 and end up being a 4-2 series or something like that. But yeah, I don't think my Phoenix in seven pick is looking particularly good, but maybe Dallas will be a different team at home. As you said, things can change there. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Anything else on this series or, or shall we? Let's let's move along. Okay. Where do you want to go next? Uh, should we talk about the war? Boston-Milwaukee. Yeah. I thought that people were way too quick to bury Boston in game one just because they, I mean, I don't think that they're going to play good offense in the series. And you saw the type of shooting performance it took for them to play good offense in game two. I don't think that's going to continue either. Yeah. But there were just a few things like their transition offense just being so atrocious in a way that you wouldn't expect to continue. The fact that they didn't make a single two outside of the restricted area. And I thought they did a nice job of actually changing their approach and i think they were zero of three on twos outside the paint in game one and four of seven just in the first quarter on twos outside the paint in game two because you just you've got to make this milwaukee bucks team guard the whole court and their defense is good enough to me that just being able to not absolutely suck on offense like if you can just get a decent mid-range shot like you should just take it and then just trust that your defense will be good enough on the other end yeah, I think I thought both games were outliers to some respect, uh, but the aggregate is not like this is going to be a defensive series and it's it's going to hinge a lot on shot making from night to night. But I also think Boston has some advantages here that may play out as the series wears on like they're just a deeper team. Uh, e- even though they're not crazy deep, they had they they have more quality to put in a game than Milwaukee does, especially with Middleton being out. Uh, they can match Giannis's physicality with a lot of their matchups. I thought Grant Williams was fantastic in game two. Um, They have other players that can defend on him, that can switch on him and not be complete dead meat. And I think that's really important. And like you keep saying, like Milwaukee cannot run a pick and roll. Like it's, it it was crazy watching that, that first quarter where they just degenerated into Drew Holiday trying to score against a switch, which is like sort of might get you halfway okay offense sometimes and Giannis taking jump shots and that's just that's just not any kind of formula for extended success for Milwaukee it got better for them in the second half they found they found some things but I still I I was Boston in seven before this started I still think this is a a long physical drawn out series but I still think it's advantage Boston after the two games yeah I would agree with you on that and it's funny I mean there have been already probably like five or six it seems like strategic phases to this series and as soon as the adjustment gets made for one team it's like you feel like the other team is just so incredibly hopeless and they're never going to score again yeah (laughs) that's just kind of the quality of these defenses where Giannis is going one out of 10 doesn't get anything at the rim in the first half of game two you mentioned what they did in the first quarter second quarter they're all right we're going to try to hand off with Giannis a lot try to get him into like side pick and rolls and they got a couple of decent plays there but then it turns out that they're handing off to like Wes Matthews and Grayson Allen a lot of the time and then Boston brought over someone to be 
off uh, one of Milwaukee's other guys who weren't really much of a threat to just the big on the opposite side to just stand under the rim to prevent that guard from driving so that the guy guarding Giannis could stay with Giannis. Uh, and then in the third quarter, the Bucks actually seemed to realize, okay, they're actually just playing Giannis one-on-one here with limited help. So Giannis just go score. And Giannis had a monster second half, but and was taking a bunch of shots at the rim and actually scoring pretty well against these guys. But then Milwaukee still didn't get any three three-pointers they made three three-pointers and they shot 18 when did you ever f- think a mike budenholzer bucks team would get up 18 three-pointers in a game it's a re- it's a real testament to the job boston does like how how they can hold their own they each of their guys can hold their own in a matchup so there's no there's no real attack point like we talked about the contrasted with phoenix hunting luke every play like who are you hunting on this boston team like unless pritchard gets a cameo and he's usually in against second unit it's like what you're going to hunt him with Javon Carter. Um, there's there's just nowhere to go where you feel like there's an advantage. Yeah, and that's why I think ultimately the possession game and transition is going to be where this ends up being decided. Certainly, shooting luck will be part of it as well, right? Boston shooting a crazy percentage from three. I can't remember what they were in the first half, but they finished twenty out of forty three. They're over fifty percent, I believe, from three yeah. in the first half of that game. I do think Milwaukee has to figure out a way to get some more threes. I mean, Giannis had the. 12 assists in game one he had seven in game two they had 16 assists on 34 field goals and they could shoot a little bit better from three two but i mean that 18 number i mean that is like you know 92 offensive rating game even if Giannis is going well they still are gonna have to figure out a way to get more three-pointers up than that so i'm just wondering what the next evolution is going to be here if they continue to play Giannis one-on-one is he going to be able to just kill that so bad that then they have to help more and it opens up the three-point line more i'm curious to see what that's going to look like and maybe they'll just because they're not helping as much there won't be as much pressure they don't get as many turnovers bucks can set their defense as well boston also i think kind of figured out that hey you know what if we're not just slamming headlong into the paint on every possession then we can avoid turning it over they only had 11 turnovers so that really uh helped stop the milwaukee transition game they only had six fast break points i think milwaukee really is the team that has to respond strategically do you see anything that they can kind of do i mean it's not going to be personnel based these teams kind of have their rotations i think yeah they but they both have who they have out there and there's not really they have some ability with their fourth quarter five but otherwise like these are the seven guys they're playing the whole series and that that's just going to be it but boston getting marcus smart back would help obviously it would extend their rotation to eight then but either way i like i don't think marcus smart changes a lot tactically for boston i like we could really get a game five that's like 78 74 right yeah the the way the way this is going like the the they could just drag each other so far in the mud i do think they're more things for Boston to potentially exploit, like especially with this big starting lineup and Portis and Lopez playing next to each other. I do think that's one of the reasons that that all that driving and kicking early in the game worked so well, yeah. um, just because there there just wasn't enough speed out there to cover everything on the perimeter and rotate the way they needed to. So. And then, and then they have other advantages they can go to. If you force Milwaukee to stay small and you have Connaughton and Allen out there and one, one of them has to play against one of Boston's better players, there's fewer places for him to hide. You're like you can get some stuff that's profitable. Yeah, I think that's right. And there are just, there are more holes in this Bucks defense, even if they do have that incredible size at the rim. If they're still dead set on putting two on the ball with Bobby Portis on every pick and roll that he's involved 
Middleton that can get the blender going a little bit for Boston out of that uh Jason Tatum the fact that they still feel like they need to bring someone up to the level of the ball on his pick and rolls so he doesn't take a three that's massive as well Jalen Brown if he can get enough ISO game in the mid-range against some of their weaker defenders that's a, a place that they can go where he had really, cooking against Grayson Allen last game I mean anytime they got yeah. that matchup yeah so and now Jalen's health is potentially a concern I thought he definitely wore down it in the second half and seemed to be bothered by the hamstring we'll see if the three days off can really help him or not but it just it does seem Boston has just a few more scabs to pick at than Milwaukee does and that Milwaukee has these incredible strengths with their defense but that you can kind of learn to play against that a little bit more but there's still you know Milwaukee is still making it difficult for them right like if they don't have this incredible shooting performance and they went 20 of 43 from downtown they had a big hot streak late when it seemed like the Bucks might get back into contact to push it away again but I didn't think that there's they still were only 49 percent from two with really good mid-range shooting I didn't think that their their second half offense was like so awesome or anything like that either for Boston not at all uh, anything else you wanted to talk about for for this series are they playing for the championship oh absolutely not okay no, okay. no yeah, I, I, can't, I can't quite get there either I'm really excited for this series but I can't quite get to that to that I went like Boston's first half was championship caliber to me um and not just because of the shooting but there's a difference between that and saying this is the series for the championship I, I can't get there either I just I just wanted to ask well and it really is fascinating now I think you can call Phoenix a, a two-way team and you know memphis might be heard from too we'll talk about that series in a second but we're kind of going back to the old school where the west is the offense conference and the east is the defense conference Mm -hmm. and but i mean i think miami is absolutely going to be hurt like they're going to have home court advantage their defense can be just as good as either these other defenses uh, i would say and you know i don't think we're going to spend that much time talking philly and miami but i I don't think philly is going to be able to make it through at this point with the state of Embiid. um but no i think I, i mean i think either one of these teams could win the championship championship although milwaukee i don't know i i i don't think they could beat whoever comes out of the west unless middleton is like really back and playing well which i i just don't seems pretty unlikely for me if he really has a grade two mcl at amica insurance we know it's more than just a house it's your home the place that's filled with memories the early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What do you make of this uh, Golden State Memphis series? There's been stuff happening, huh? (laughs) (laughs) It's been eventful, right? Uh, Interesting because I think both teams can feel like they should be up 2-0. 
Uh, Golden State, I thought, had control of game two, and tactically, they let they just let Ja Morant beat them in the fourth quarter and made it too easy for that to happen. And Memphis, on the other hand, has to look at game one and say, we're at home, Draymond Green's kicked out of the game, that's the one we have to get, and they did not get that one. And they blew the two-for-one uh, toward the end of that. They got it in game two, and that was a real key, that bucket. And so but both these teams are kind of kind of sizing each other up still a little. I still feel like it's advantage Golden State. I said Golden State in seven, I think, uh, when we did our player preview at the beginning. I would still probably go that way. I presume Dylan Brooks will be suspended for game three, which would put Memphis at a disadvantage. They don't have their prime Curry defender right from the tip, and Golden State can strategize for that. Uh, although they're not a team that typically picks at weaknesses. Like, you'll never see Golden State do what Phoenix did to Luka last night right yeah Yeah. Uh, although they also don't quite have that type of personnel either yeah yeah true uh and you see it even with uh with john morant though like there there are more places for him to hide on at some levels on other levels there's not because there's three guards and he has to guard one of them and it's it's a problem you could say like he's been exposed a little on defense in these playoffs as good as he's been on offense but i'm i'm interested because you followed golden state more closely than i have all year i'm interested to see what your take is on these first two games yeah I've been after winning game one I think you could feel better about Golden State obviously that loss in game two is rough seven to 38 three-point shooting basically the worst three-point shooting game of the Kerr era yeah that's so you don't want to overreact to that necessarily they clearly have a John Morant problem I was extremely critical of the strategy even more so than you which we don't need to get into too much but basically a don't let him go left every time like you don't have to like give him the right but at least influence right because when he goes left he wants to finish left or he can spin back right when he goes right really it's more often just the righty floater um and he's just more comfortable pushing off i think with his right leg to make an explosive move to his left like that's something he's gonna actually need to improve i mean if you go back and look at the film pretty much every one of those buckets he starts off going left and yeah he might make a a spin move going back to his right but he's it's not like you're gonna just stop him that way but at least start off having the scouting report this oh yeah we're just gonna let him shoot okay number one if you actually look at the what he shoots on wide open threes like that's not a great idea and like you know he's an nba player and he's a good nba player like he's not we're not talking about tj mcconnell here from the top of the key and maybe it's oh yeah you know we let him shoot and it'll just cut off his uh passing game well number one i mean people don't understand how incredibly depleted memphis was at the end of that game right i mean that's the that i mean that was the thing so you had like desmond bain running on fumes you had brooks out of the game you had jackson out of the game and so if you were ever going to run doubles at jaw like why that's the time right like there's no shot creation on the floor outside outside of jaw yeah or maybe not let the guy who's shooting over 40 percent for the series now and looks very comfortable taking them just take a wide open three you know at least like make him drive and and help right like let's like it's john morant he's a second team all nba player you have to be oh just let him shoot like that's <laughs> your strategy like no he's too good for that you need it or or hey we'll back off of him so that he can just get a running start into the lane every time like actually put a good defender on him defend him like a normal player make him go the direction most of the time that you want to go and then because 
all right, you might say, hey, we're, we're, we got our help winning in the lane. But if he just has no pressure on him and can just attack at absolute full speed and can read the floor with no pressure at all, right? Like it, it's going to be so much easier for him to make a play once he gets in there. Like if you actually have someone close to him and yeah, he might be able to get by that guy a little easier, but now you're sending him a certain direction. You've got help there. It's not just he can read what's going on so easily. Yeah. So like, yeah, actually like play real defense. This is yeah. one of the best guards in the NBA. You're not going to win the series, but just, oh, just let him shoot. Yeah. Some of those horn sets, like it was almost comical. Like the, the his defender was below both elbows, right? Just And just letting him walk into it. Yeah. I, I mean, he shot 34% from three and he's taking a lot of difficult off the dribble attempts. So like you just let him shoot. He's going to make enough of He's nine out of 23 on this series. Yeah. Um. So, I, I mean, that that's obviously a problem. Now, not having Gary Payton the second is going to hurt some. Uh, the other thing they need to do is Jordan Poole is... Uh, as you like to say, sponsored by Target in the playoffs. <laughs> and Denver figured that out by the end of their series with their very limited guards. And now uh, it's John Moran. I mean, Jordan Poole looked about as bad as you will ever see anyone look on one of those drives where he just like he's, fell down, tried to get up and fell down again, trying to get up with his I mean, back to John. He, he was facing the wrong way as his legs gave out. Yes, that was that was pretty astounding. Like, how do you, how do you end up in that position as a defender? <laughs> yeah very, that, very that was pretty remarkable so uh and, and but again how about you just you put two on the ball or you say you we're gonna hedge with jordan pool and all right you want to get a pick and pop to zaire williams or whoever jordan pool is guarding okay do that or, or we'll rotate out of that as well given how limited they were um now i think for memphis if bain can get these three days off and come back and be desmond bain again i think uh, golden state could actually be in some trouble in this series because you're starting to see it particularly with melton they're forcing turnovers draymond and Steph have had these bad turnovers draymond really has been pretty ineffective in the series maybe part of that was he couldn't see out of his right eye very well in, in game two mm-hmm. but I, I think just overall for golden state even if they can make it through here i'm not sure how sustainable this Steph clay pool lineup is to close games i think that the hope was that they would just be so unbelievable offensively that it wouldn't matter that their defense wasn't any good but going against a team that's not denver i think that offense might be worse on defense than it is good on offense against like a real team mm-hmm. like phoenix for example we see what is phoenix gonna do to jordan Poole? we've seen what they've do, done to Doncic. so and maybe having gary payton the second out there i thought was actually maybe the best closing lineup for steve kerr in game one and now gary payton the second got taken out by a, a dirty play he's gonna be out for a month potentially so maybe pool has to play maybe getting iguodala back would help but they and then the other thing i'll say this to john i just don't think steph curry is that guy like he he may prove me wrong and he is coming off an injury but we saw it during the regular season as well like he if you had last year's steph curry i'd feel a lot better about them like last year's steph curry would have been the best player in the series john morant is the best player in the series that's yeah that's not great for golden state yeah what do you think about what memphis is doing defensively because it seems like they're pretty committed to playing a switching lineups um they like they hedged a little with tillman i guess right um but i wonder about that as far as Steven Adams ever reappearing in this series yeah Golden State would love it if he came back because <laughs> I, I think 
because the one thing with what Memphis is doing right now is they're pretty small, and especially when uh, when when once Jackson picks up his third foul or fourth foul or whatever, uh, and and they have to play, then they're playing Clark at five and either Zaire Williams or Dylan Brooks or whoever at, at four. Zaire Williams might start next game actually, as as I think about it. Um, like that, that's a small team, and there are things that maybe Golden State can attack. They're not really a post-up team, but I do wonder if they could play through Wiggins more against some of those lineups. Yeah, and I'd like to see more of Kamingo well as well. I thought he played well in game two, and this isn't the Memphis is not some veteran team that's going to take advantage of his inexperience nearly as much. And he actually has some confidence finishing at the rim against Memphis's athleticism. Like Jaron Jackson, while he did fall out on his usual array of stupid fouls in the second half, he put a, a rim on the lid or, or a, a lid on the rim <laughs> for <laughs> Golden State throughout a lot of the, the game when he was in. And I thought they really were kind of scared to go up. And Kaminga just gives them that option of like, oh, okay, like if he, they're not going to go to it every time, obviously, but if there's a scramble situation and he has a smaller player, he's actually very comfortable just working inside and just finishing, even in a way I would say that Wiggins isn't. Clay, obviously, like he isn't either. I, by the way, I, I would put John Moran on Clay if they're going to go with those three guards and you have to put John one of them. I would absolutely put him on Clay and just because Clay is he's going to shoot, but he's not going to move that much off the ball. His post ups are always going to result in mid rangers because he's yep. just not willing to like be physical enough to just back down. Um, yeah, he's he took some bad shots in game two, man. Oof. Yeah, and so you know, Steph and Clay and Poole, they were five out of 27, sorry, 29 yeah. from three. That's going to change, but I did think that there was a much lower quality of their shots throughout a lot of the game from three and they were also were just missing bad too even on some of the decent looks so maybe that'll just change i mean i do think I, i'll probably stick with my golden state in six prediction but i'm feeling much worse about golden state particularly now with peyton out uh, going up against phoenix i i think if i had to pick that series today I, yeah. I would pick phoenix to win comfortably i i just think like i still think there are tactics available to golden state where they could come pretty close to shutting down this Memphis offense and they didn't take advantage of those tactics in in game two or really that much in game one either but the fact that those are still available and they can go to those like I'm I'm still thinking at some point they do that stuff and that that tilts things in this series yeah but then they may have missed their chance if Bain is actually back and the Memphis has some other players that can hurt you from the outside but yeah I, I think the, I'm fascinated to see how Golden State comes out like are they actually going to come out and just be throwing the ball all over the gym and giving up a bunch of fast break points to memphis and letting their athleticism tell are they going to just be a little bit more intentional and just because they they have the talent advantage like it's not even close you would think going forward in terms of just the offensive skill level and they just need to i think not like the beautiful game stuff isn't really working at all like i think they need to just go more to and we've said this for years and years but uh particularly against this memphis team like they just have places that they can attack like this isn't 2018 houston we're talking about here yeah by the way good on uh taylor Jenkins for getting Melton back in the rotation for this series. I was worried he was going to end up deep six for the whole playoffs, and I thought that would have been a mistake because uh, he he was pretty impactful in those first two games, just like he was through the regular season, and just had a brutal stretch of that Minnesota game. And sometimes coaches will overreact to that with bench guys, so I'm glad that didn't happen here. No, I I agree with you, and I mean his help defense has been critical. He said just those two or three plays at the rim that he's able to make, and some of these, you know, even Jaw getting three steals, like those those add up after a while and they clearly made golden state uncomfortable by 
the end of game two. I am a little concerned with Memphis. The lot that like Kyle Anderson's a fairly important player in the rotation right now. And I feel like as that game two went on, especially he became less and less playable as Golden State figured out how much further they could play off him and ignore him. And I'm, I'm just wondering where that goes as this series evolves. Yeah, I'd actually like to see them get Kyle Anderson just like into the post or mid post isolation where he's either can shoot over the top of someone like because they're going to hide like a Steph or a Jordan Poole on him. And I think he in past matchups, he's actually been able to kind of meander in the lane and score against those guys. And obviously, you're not going to run your offense, Kyle Anderson, but just to get him, you know, maybe put it fouls on those guys, just get him a little bit of confidence to see the ball go through the basket, make them worry about him just a little bit. Like that's something I would explore for, you know, maybe three or four possessions a game. And yeah, if but it this, works, this, then keep going to it. The stuff where they're trying to have him pick and pop or like hold spacing yeah. in the corner though, like that that stuff is dead on arrival. All right, we got about 10 minutes left here. Let's talk some Philly and Miami. I may be proven wrong here. I hope that I am. But Chris Haynes report that Joel Embiid was only able to look at his phone for the first time two days ago without suffering concussion symptoms. I'm not sure how Embiid can make it through the concussion protocol in time to play on Friday. It would seem unlikely, right? And so who's riding in to save this team if that isn't the case? I mean, you could argue that Philadelphia should play smaller, should try, you know, just try going even smaller, faster, just junk up the game as much as they can, embrace more of an underdog strategy, try more of what, you know, Ty Lue Clippers thing, basically, uh, because they have nothing to lose by by going that direction. Certainly, you know, doing that instead of keep sending DeAndre Jordan out there seems like a good idea, right? But I, I still wonder, like, the, one of the things is to make that small lineup work, you need enough shooting, and they're just not shooting right now. And the, the shooters they have out there, other than, like, their best shooter is probably Niang, who is getting targeted on, on every single play when he's in the game, right? He's getting the Luka treatment, fouled out in 10 minutes. Um, and they've been, like, they've been pretty good on, on Maxi. And then, like, once, once, like, and once they get in their bench, like, Tybal's out there, they're not guarding him at all. Danny Green, they're just, like, they're not, they don't, they're not worried about him. If you're playing small lineups, you're probably introducing, like, Shake Milton. Again, that's, a, like, is that really a threat? Um, so, Unless James Harden turns back the clock, I just have a hard time seeing against a defense this good where Philadelphia gets enough points. Yeah, now I think you can make the argument in game two that other than the shooting, they played well enough to win. And they have had wonderful shooting games in these playoffs. And that's while Joel Embiid does help you get more open looks. Generally, if you're taking a three-pointer, it's because you're open and they have some pretty good shooters. And you mentioned Niang, like he's, Doc Rivers said that he's struggling with a knee issue right now. Like he, he clearly is not the panacea. Uh, they did experiment with Tobias Harris at center late in the fourth quarter. And I think I would try to go back to that some at least as well. And, but Harris is playing pretty well to me. You know, Maxi had a great game on in game two. Like Harden probably played about as good as he can play these days for a half, although he couldn't sustain it. Uh, the shots just didn't go down. And then Miami was 14 to 29 themselves. So I, I think ultimately, though they're they just don't have like the side like bam is just killing them which is a, a huge problem i think on both ends actually and J- jimmy I, butler's I, killing them too yeah 
At least he was. He's, yeah, he's having two. a great postseason. Yeah, it's so weird. Sometimes, like uh, game two, you you just look down at his line, like, oh wait, he had twenty two points and twelve assists, and he was really efficient. Like you didn't even like perceive that it was happening throughout yeah. the game. Sometimes, yeah, yeah, because he's like not a- just okay. We're gonna run this pick and roll for him, and he's he's not spending nearly as much time on the ball as some of his other guys. To where you kind of internalize what he's doing. He's just finishing efficiently, and he's uh, he's uh, shooting more as well, which is is good for them. Like enough to be a threat. Yeah, and he's kind of awesome on defense too yeah i'm really gonna look forward to miami versus whoever it's gonna be in the next round well um, especially miami probably gets kyle lowry back after these three days off yeah one would think and hope that that's the case that could could be an issue for philly as well but i think philly you no know, i would give philly like a 40 percent chance of winning game three and then i think Embiid can maybe come back for game four and you you've got at least something of a series yeah yeah that's that's the best hope of of something competitive happening here uh what one thing i've noticed with my Miami, by the way. I thought they looked really good with P.J. Tucker playing five, and I feel like they're just saving that. Like, they keep playing Dwayne Dedman in these games, even though the minutes aren't going real well with him out there. And it's it's almost like they don't want to they don't want to play that card until they have to. Like, they, they don't want to maybe wear out Tucker, let's say, or they'd rather have him up top guarding guarding Harden and use his minutes that way. But I've, I found it odd that they keep going back to Dedman. Yeah, and also Bam is just not playing that many minutes either. And I, I think they like the Tucker is a big part of their switching group. So I think the idea is that they'd love to match up Bam and Tucker's minutes a fair amount as well, so that you can just terrorize teams with this switching group at the start of games. So I understand that. I mean, they haven't been threatened much, and I think they will go Tucker at center a fair amount because Deadman. You know, I'm I'm not sure how much he can give them. Like they'll usually try to play some zone as well. Like they're they've got both Deadman and Hero out there. I think part of the reason Duncan Robinson is just done now is. Strews was better than him as a starter because of his defense to be part yeah. of that switching group. And then off the bench, Hero and Deadman and Robinson was just not going to work. And so that's why we're- You could see that even team. in the Atlanta series. Like the, the, it was hunting season uh, for for Atlanta. It was actually, it wasn't Trey Young. It was Bogdanovich. He was just wrecking those guys when they both were out there and one of them had to guard him as a primary defender. It, it, it was the only thing that was making it a series through, uh, through three and a half games. And finally Spolster was just like, okay, uncle, forget this yeah so and i think also once lowry is back as well and they have another kind of big defender that they can throw out there because it seems like they don't really want to switch as much with vincent as they would with lowry so that might mean that they can get some more minutes out of that tucker at center group because if you're going tucker at center then the idea is that you're switching as well and that group at the end of the first and third quarters just may not have the personnel to do that so i think maybe we'll see more of that once lowry is back and frankly once they actually have to try <laughs> Yeah, kind of, kind of reading the paper while they uh, yeah. while they take care of Philly so and, far. And Tucker can foul like he's going to end up with five fouls every game in the playoffs. That's just what happens. To him. And he will explain to you in great detail why all five of them were not actually fouls. <laughs> yeah, someday we'll have to do a top five players in the NBA who just have no idea when they have fouled. <laughs> uh, here, actually, I, I've got three right now. Okay, Patrick Beverly and Carl Anthony Towns. Yes, Tucker. Uh huh. Do we? 
do we have to throw Jaron Jackson in there too? We probably I think I think he's definitely. I mean, he is definitely greatly puzzled every time he's called for a foul. And then you watch the replay, you're like, oh yeah, that's <laughs> that's what the foul was. Yeah, when you're like, okay, well, I think we know why you commit these fouls because you just have no idea when you what is a foul and when you're actually committing one. <laughs> um yeah now i would say draymond i'm not gonna put him up there because i think he knows when he's committed a foul but he's just trying to maintain his reputation of being this great defender who never fouls so he complains even when he knows he's committed the foul or when he's committed a flagrant foul let's say (laughs) (laughs) what did you think of his uh that flagrant two on him by the way i thought it was two flagrant ones on the same play one with each hand (laughs) <laughs> I, I thought if if you're going to justify keeping him in the game, you could argue that it was a flagrant for the karate chop to the face and then a technical for fouling Clark after the whistle on the second one to grab him by the jersey and pull him down, right? That that was the call to me that could keep him in the game, if you called it that way. But there were there were like two separate serious violations within one second of each other. It's one of the oddest things I've ever seen for somebody to do one flagrant with each hand on the same play. Yeah, I agree. I, I was not nearly as against that him being thrown out i think as a lot of people were but i think like the jersey thing oh i was trying to grab him and hold him up like or, or no. well no first there was <laughs> it was one of the explanation was oh my hand got caught in his jersey and the other one was oh i was trying to hold him up well okay if your hand got caught in his jersey then that wasn't intentional but you're intentionally trying to hold him up at the same time that didn't really make a lot of sense to me and yeah it just like you can't grab a guy's jersey and yank him down when he's in the air like I've, i don't recall ever really seeing that play no before. no yeah and he was lucky that he was able to then kind of grab him so he didn't just like slam his face onto the floor but it was yeah i I think you you, particularly that sort of a play like you just can't that's not something that you can be allowed Um, yeah the the only thing the only thing that i'm upset about is it provided more content for his podcast than for our podcast (laughs) yeah i wonder how that thing's doing Uh, as a as a podcast industry veteran i I, (laughs) that was your first thought Uh, yeah well because he had a a previous podcast with marcus thompson that was relatively short-lived and now he obviously started doing it again with uh (laughs) now that and i'm sure that he's also doing these tnt appearances as well all right uh anything else you want to talk about here let's uh let's just hit a couple categories who uh who's your nba champion i'm still gonna go phoenix over boston in the finals that would be just an absolute war yes Uh, i think like boston or miami to me maybe a little bit less so milwaukee but boston miami i think they can slow down this phoenix offense not stop them i think phoenix they're gonna have home court they'll have a very good chance of winning still but i think yeah. to actually be able to switch against chris paul like i don't know if chris paul going one-on-one against some of these guys like yeah you could probably beat robert williams that, that would be the one or, or al horford you know that but this boston defense is like an all-time like they're they're fantastic but that would be such a good matchup i don't know how well boston be able to score on them either i mean this is this milwaukee series is kind of showing my concern about boston because boston didn't play a real defense in the first round but yeah, yeah. i'd probably say boston and phoenix and god i don't know who i would pick to win you you you'd have phoenix i went phoenix in seven before the playoffs yeah. so i i i don't have any reason to deviate from that yeah i think that feels right to me I, and i just i don't know how well paul and booker will be able to score against this boston defense. but they're i think they'll do better than katie and Kyrie did because they actually have an offense which those guys yeah. don't yeah they actually run stuff and then they yeah. have secondary things they could get to it could, um, it could and they also up- don't have two total 
total non-shooters on the floor at all times. <laughs> right. I, mean, I was going to say, it could end up being an Aiton series for them. Yeah, that's. I think that's very possible. Um, yeah, I think, I think I probably would go with Phoenix. I mean, obviously, it's always, we're such prisoners of the moment here. I mean, after that game that Phoenix played yesterday, it's like they're never going to lose a, a single game. Oh, of course. Again, yes. Right? Like, yes. So yes. It, it's tough. But, and um, who is the MVP of the playoffs so far? Uh, so I actually wrote about this for the athletic and it's going to run tomorrow morning. Uh, Chris Paul. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Giannis, Paul and Tatum would be the three for me that are, are in the mix. I mean, Tatum had a great game too. Jimmy Butler. Himself. Jimmy <sighs> Butler's got to be in that mix. He missed one game. I haven't game. played anyone though. Yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest knock, but he's been awesome. Like he's, 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 he's done, like he's maxed out on what he could do, right? It's just, we haven't seen him do it against the highest level opposition yet. Yeah. And also he missed a game. Game and he had a bad game one against Philly. So I, I think that would put him a tier below to me. Tough crowd. I think I, wow. I think I probably, well, it's tough competition with some of these other guys. I probably would go Tatum over Paul because his defensive contributions in the first round so massive as well. And I think Paul's been better offensively, but not by enough to counteract that. Um, let's see here. Any like real coaching stuff that stood out to you? I think we've talked about most of it in the course of discussing these games or, or these series, I should say. Uh, there's one. One coaching thing that we should talk about. The Sacramento Kings? Yes. <laughs> what the hell? Wait, I mean, well, what, what is so weird about it to you? I, I can't say that anything stuck out to me, although I haven't been following that story extremely. It just close. it feels so contrived where this is headed, like that that the owner is choosing the coach and it's just you know, it's just waiting for it to go through a a sort of normal looking process so it doesn't seem like a total sham. Like like there's no chance Monty McNor's first choice or his eleventh choice was Mark Jackson. What makes you say that? I mean, other than the fact that he worked hand in hand with Mike D'Antoni for years, right? I mean, he yeah. was traveling with the team to all the games. He was with D'Antoni every single day during that era. I don't know if people realize that because he he was the one, even though he was in the front office staff, like he was the guy who traveled with the team uh, like through the whole year. So he was around D'Antoni all the time. Like that's that's a pretty tight relationship there. I, I, who knows? Maybe they got sick of each other, but I for him to be a candidate and then not go any further than that, that to me was a total red flag. Um, well, I, I'll I will push back on this. I don't think D'Antoni is the right hire. Okay, that's fair. The one thing, the one argument I had against D'Antoni was that Alvin Gentry was running his stuff anyway, and where Sacramento has to get better is on the defensive end. So that's well, where you and could also argue. you have a young team, right? Like bringing in a seventy-one-year-old coach for a young team. Just, I mean, you, you this. I look at every coach hire as an opportunity to hire the coach who's going to be here for ten years. Like you should be shooting for that coach, unless you're a team that's like a championship contender right now for like the next two years right like, what like if what if your Antonio. only goal in the entire universe is to just make the play in one time yeah well uh, and that's probably why mcnair would have wanted d'antoni too because it, there's reporting yeah. from sam amick that he could be under fire oh, right totally. if, if yeah. they if they don't make the the play in or the playoffs this year because you know he's had so much autonomy to reshape this roster <laughs> and the dumar is leaving thing too I, my hypothesis although this is just totally unsupported by any actual evidence is that the sabonis thing was a very kind of dumar I mean, obviously it was the Vivek pressure that got them there, but that that was kind of a do 
ballsy move. I don't, I, you don't see a general manager hit a lottery pick out of the park and then trade him the next year when he's under fire. Like that literally never, ever happens. Yeah, that's true. Right? Usually guys overvalue those players. Totally. Anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And who knows about McNair? Maybe we're just giving him too much credit because he's supposedly more analytical and from Houston uh, and all that. But, uh, and part, part of his job is to manage some of these other forces. Not that anyone else has ever succeeded at that with Vivek Ranadive yeah. either. But it, yeah, so you think it's going to be Mark Jackson is, and this is all subterfuge. And this is, and this is, and this is all rubber stamp. I, I hope, I hope I am wrong by, about this. I, I think Mike Brown deserves another chance to coach in the league. Like I would be tickled if he got, got the job there. Um, even if it's not the greatest, you know, place for coaching longevity or whatever, historically, like I, I, I would feel great about that if it ends up being him, but I have a feeling that's not who it's going to be. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, if I were Mike Brown, I'd probably rather just continue being an assistant at Golden State. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like to go in with these expectations with this shitty ass team that doesn't really have any way of getting better yeah that has no way of defending you have this sabonis thing baked in as a defensive coach you have to build your defense around sabonis with no miles turner next to him like good luck man the yeah. west is only getting stronger although it seems like we say that every year so someone's gonna fall off but still um yeah that'd be interesting if i, I mean mark jackson probably has deserved another chance at some point like i i realize he kind of sounds like a buffoon on tv but his record with golden state was pretty good like i think he can be a good coach for a young team like i'm not going to predict that it's going to go well but he's not like an awful fit for this group necessarily with what his strengths are like because they're just trying to make a big improvement and make the playoff yeah i guess kind of what he did previously um so yeah i mean i certainly would have more respect for mike brown than than mark jackson but mark jackson will have assistance and stuff too he's an emotional leader or whatever yeah okay i think that's probably enough here for this this week yeah what were you gonna say uh no i think we're good (laughs) excellent all right we'll be back probably wednesday i'm guessing of next week unless the schedule dictates thursday we'll talk to you all then at amica insurance we know it's more than just a house it's your home the place that's filled with memories the early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.